On Friday night, Father Teo attended a banquet after the March for Life, and Jonathan Rumi gave a speech there. I don't know if any of you have seen this series, The Chosen, but Jonathan Rumi is the actor who plays Jesus. And in his speech, he said, you know, after four and a half years of studying Jesus, of trying to understand him and enter in his mind and imitate him on the screen, I've been transformed by him. And that struck me as a very accurate image of discipleship. A good disciple studies his master like an actor studies his role, not only his external actions, but he strives to comprehend him, to enter into his way of thinking and feeling. And that's the aim of a disciple, not merely to parrot his master, but to become like him. Jesus today begins to preach and says, repent. And that's what the word repent means. It means to be transformed. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think we hear repent, and we think, stop smoking and pay your taxes. But actually, there's a much deeper and more primary meaning. It means be transformed with, from within. The Greek word is metanoia, and it refers to a conversion or a new way of thinking. Well, the disciples begin that process today when they're called. They were there fishing like any other day when Jesus showed up and called them to follow after him. And they dropped their nets and they left. And from that moment forward, their primary occupation was to be with him, to watch him, to study him, and over the course of time to become like him. Well, 2,000 years later, Jesus is still calling disciples to follow after him, to study him, and to become like him. And he does that through the Word of God, through the Holy Scriptures. You know, the first disciples had this privilege of being with him in the flesh. They could see him, touch him, speak to him. And it might seem like we got a raw deal. Like they had the privilege of being with him and we got 60 thin pages from a book. But that's because we vastly underestimate what the scriptures are. We underestimate their capacity to put us into contact with Jesus Christ, who's still alive. The letter to the Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The gospels aren't merely a historical record of what happened in the past. When we approach them with faith, they put us into contact with him. They used to say that a disciple should be covered with the dust of the sandals of his rabbi's feet. It was an image of how closely the disciple should follow after his rabbi, how constantly he should be with him. And we could say that a modern disciple should be stained with the ink of the pages of the gospel. That we should wear out the pages of the gospel with our thumbs and we should wear out our eyes reading them. Because it's the way that we come to know Christ. If you want to study him, if you want to know him so that you can imitate him, read the gospels. St. Jerome said, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. And the converse is also true. Knowledge of the scriptures 
his knowledge of Christ. I want to turn now to Christ's calling of his disciples, which we heard in today's gospel, because we're going to find there three lessons for how to approach the scriptures. The first lesson is that Jesus takes the initiative. You know, he goes looking for the disciples and he sees them. Did you notice that, that before he calls each of them, it says he saw Peter and Andrew. He saw James and John. He saw them and then he called them. Sometimes we begin prayer as if we were archaeologists and our job was to dig through the sand and find old fragments and then pull them out and try to decipher them and piece them together. But the truth is that he's the one digging for you when you go to pray with the word of God. He's the one seeking you. He's the one who wants to speak to you. And you, when you grasp this, it changes your whole approach to prayer. You don't show up to prayer with this vague hope of finding some trace of God. You go with the confidence that he wants to communicate with you. And he does. Jesus Christ wants to speak to you, and that's why he left the Gospels. Every day he wants to speak a fresh word to you. The second lesson that we can draw from the call of the disciples is that the word of God comes charged with grace. Jesus said to these disciples, come after me. And what happened? How did they respond? Did they say, well, let me weigh my options. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about what this involves? I'd like to go home and talk to my wife about it. Maybe we can you know, put together a plan. No, they drop their nets and they go immediately. And let me tell you, that doesn't speak so much about the boldness of the disciples as it does the compelling nature of the call of Christ. Because we know from the rest of the Gospels that the disciples are not all that courageous from start to finish. They're somewhat half-hearted, they doubt, they squabble along the way. But there's a power in the Word of God. There's a power in the call of Christ that compels them. He doesn't override their freedom, but he inspires them by his word. And that's also true of the word of God. You know, if we go to pray with the gospel every day, every day we will hear a fresh personal call from God to forgive or to pray from the heart or to pay attention to the poor. And each one of those calls comes charged with the power to carry it out. It comes charged with a grace. Do you remember when Jesus called out the teachers of the law? He said, woe also to you, scholars of the law. You impose on people burdens hard, hard to carry, but you yourselves do not lift one finger to touch them. He says, you love to lay on the law, but you never help the people to carry it out. Do you think that Jesus would critique the scholars of the law for doing that and then do the same to us? Do you think that he would lay on us a heavy book of commandments and not give us the grace to carry them out? You know, sometimes we're afraid to open the Bible because we think we're just going to find another heavy burden and we're already bending under the load and we don't need any more. 
We treat the gospel like a dead letter when it's a living word. It's more than a living word. It's a life-giving word. Every call contains a grace to follow. And every commandment contains the power to carry it out. And we see this in a dramatic way in the lives of the saints. You know, when Anthony, in the third century, was a young man, his parents died and he inherited their fortune. And one day when he entered church, the gospel was being proclaimed. So I guess he showed up a little late because they were already reading the gospel, which is a great sign of hope for many of you that you could still become saints because we have... I'm always amazed that, you know, we, I close my eyes, say, let us pray, and there's like twice as many people as when the Mass begins. It's amazing. It's the multiplication of the people. But anyways, back to the story. So he walked in, and the gospel was being proclaimed, and, and, and it was the story when Jesus said to the rich young man, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And Anthony received that as a word directed from the Lord to him. It was personally addressed to him, and it came with a grace to follow. And so that's what he did. He went home, he sold his fortune, he gave it to the poor, and he went out to the desert to pray. And he became the father of monasticism. If, if you think about it, the word of Christ was more efficacious when it was proclaimed in the scriptures that day than when he first spoke it. Because what happened when Jesus called the rich young man to follow him? The rich young man walked away sad. He didn't follow. But three centuries later, that same word was proclaimed and it pierced Anthony's heart. It came charged with a grace and he followed. Some decades later, also in the north of Africa, the word of God struck the heart of another man. Augustine, this great scholar and rhetorician, was in a moment of anguish in his life. For some time he had seen the truth of Christianity, but he didn't have the strength to follow. He was shackled by lust, and he couldn't break free. He couldn't choose to follow Christ. But one day he was in his garden struggling with this, and he heard some children singing from behind the fence. Tole lege, tole lege. Take and read. Take and read. And so he went and he opened St. Paul's letter to the Romans and his eyes lighted on this passage. Let us conduct ourselves properly as in the day. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in promiscuity and licentiousness, not in rivalry and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. He knew that it was a word addressed to him. And that word had power. And the chains fell off and he began to follow Christ. Later, Augustine said, Lord, give me what you command and command me what you will. From that experience, he had this insight. Lord, you can ask whatever you want as me, as, as long as you give me the grace to carry it out. Give me what you command and command me what you will. And the word of God, it does come charged with that power. When you pray with the word of God and you experience that he's speaking to you and calling you to something or commanding you, you can be sure that that command contains a grace and you will find the strength to carry it out. 
The third lesson that we can learn from the disciples' response, that we can learn from, is, is from the disciples' response to the Lord's call. They dropped their nets and they followed him. Their life changed from that moment forward. And in the same way, when we pray with the word of God, we should expect things to change in our lives. We should expect it to be an experience of metanoia, of conversion. There was a rabbi who every time he went to pray, he would go and find his wife and he would say to her, wife, I want to tell you how much I love you. I'm going to pray now so I may never see you again. He had this sense of how dramatic it was to enter the presence of God. And I think it's a little bit exaggerated. But still, we should raise our expectations for what can happen when we go to encounter God in his living word. We should go with a spirit of docility, ready to change directions and change our minds. Things happen when we go to an encounter with the living God through his word. So I want to propose to you all, to every person here, to begin praying every day with the gospel for 10 minutes. Let him have the first word. You know, you begin with the sign of the cross. You enter into his presence. You remember, as we heard in the gospel today, that he sees you, that he wants to communicate with you. And then you read the gospel once or twice. You grapple with it. You try to get a hold of what it means. And then you ask the Lord very simply, what do you want to say to me today? And maybe something will resonate with you. Maybe something will stand out to you from the gospel. And that will be the Lord calling you. That will be him directing you or consoling you that day. So take it to heart. Respond generously to it. And make some resolution to carry it out. You know, I have to tell you that I have this fear that when I recommend praying for 10 minutes a day, my fear is that you'll get the impression that it's only worth 10 minutes of your day. Oh, and that you'll, you'll be, you compare it to like spending 10 minutes a day stretching to lower your blood pressure. It's not that it's worth 10 minutes. It's that he only needs 10 minutes. You give him 10 minutes and he'll take your whole life over the course of time. He'll rob you clean. He'll leave you with nothing left of your old petty self. And he'll begin to fill you with his life, with his love, with his confidence in the Father, and with his way of thinking. 